Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. It's changing all the time, so God knows what's going to be in 2024 and beyond. It was easier a few years ago. The landscape is changing with retailers being a strong partner. And we'll also see like retail media network becoming a bigger part of our marketing spend versus our paid social. I'm still very interested to see how TikTok shop is going to behave in the US. Are we finally going to crack the online shopping that, you know, is huge in China and in Korea, all over in Asia with influencers and directly converting? We feel like there's something that with TikTok right now and TikTok shop that maybe is going to be the next spark of going back to a DTC business. Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. I'm Sarah Hofstetter, president of Profitero. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. Sarah, you have impeccable skin. Oh my gosh. This is not the opening I was expecting. Thank you very much. As do you, Rachel, actually, but we're so differently toned. We are, we are. But I've actually been very self-conscious of my skin lately, and I'm, I'm thinking that it's time that I start doing Botox. Oh, Rach, Rach, no. As a senior member of this co-host duo, I can tell you as somebody looking at, at somebody younger, you do not need it. You still look younger than your age. All right. Enough about me. The, the whole point is there is money in skincare and beauty. So as the senior member, I can tell you there's more money the older you get because we're willing to pay anything at this point to get to something that makes us feel great about when we look in the mirror. And that doesn't necessarily have to require needles and whatnot. I think it's more a matter of being able to look in the mirror and just say, you know what? I see myself. What's interesting is that everything that you just said stands the test of time, but the channel strategy to sell these products has so drastically changed even in the recent past five years. Oh, completely. Right before the pandemic hit, I've had the same product for my hair that I've been using for, I don't know, almost 10 years. Like once you find a good hair product, like you don't mess with it. And and then they discontinued the one that I liked. Mm -hmm. For those of you who are in my generation, I pulled in out of the episode of Seinfeld where Elaine loaded up on her today's sponge, determining whether or not her suitors were sponge worthy. And so I did the same thing with my hair product. (laughs) And I bought, I literally loaded a closet full of this hair product. I contacted the warehouse, loaded up on it because once you fall in love with something, you are so 
committed and connected. Anyway, my closet is running thin. I've been trying different products out and there's no better referral point for me than Amazon ratings and reviews on what it actually does for the type of hair that I actually have. Brands can talk all day long about what it does and what it's designed to do. But those brands, those people, they don't have my hair. They don't get me. And I think the same thing is true when it comes to anything beauty related. How that sits on your body is going to be so different that you need the breadth of the world to give you the context of what's going to make it right for you. I was wondering where this personal story was heading. Eventually, I have a point. (laughs) Eventually, I have a point. To your point, the power of Amazon, really the power of any mass retailer in this customer journey, even when it comes to premium luxury beauty and skincare products. And so a living case study of all of this is the portfolio Amor Pacific, who has a lot of luxury beauty and skincare brands. And we are going to bring their U.S. general manager, Julian, onto the show. Julian Buzita, the U.S. general manager of La Nineige and Innisfree. Hey, Julian. Hi, how are you? We're good. We're so happy we finally were able to make this happen. Thanks for having me. Well, super excited to get into everything with you because we're entering a new year. And I feel like that's an amazing time to dive into all things beauty and wellness. And, you know, you've been at it in this sector of the industry for quite some time. You started your career at L'Oreal and and you were there for a while, for around 15 years. You know, curious when you look back at your L'Oreal career, like what you take from that experience today. Sure. Yeah. So basically, I've been uh, in beauty for all my career, which is 20 plus years at this point. But I still look very young since to all the products we're using. I'm French initially, and I started at L'Oreal just after my graduation. And one year after, I was sent to the US initially for a 15-month rotation and was supposed to go back. And I never left. So I extended my welcome in the US. My entire beauty career has been in New York City and in the US. Uh, 15 years at L'Oreal and then now seven years at Amory Pacific Group, which is the Korean uh, Korean beauty group. So L'Oreal, you know, it's the best for me, at least uh, my perception is like it's the best marketing school. Uh, you see now, you know, everywhere in the, the beauty brands in the US, like it's ex-L'Oreal being at the lead of most of the brands that are growing, the DTC brand, the small brands or the bigger brands, but like it's really a cohort of people that all had the same training, a rigorous training for sure. But we have a lot of, I believe, diversity in the way we learn. We're very creative and very analytical as well. We are used to a lot of change. We're we're constantly, you know, if you're a L'Oreal talent, like you're every two years, you're being challenged to get an exposition, a new distribution channel, a new brand, and you constantly never stay comfortable where you are. And I think that's one of the reasons why you're seeing all the L'Oreal talents going through the rest of the industry now. It's got to be fun to go from the big beauty brand in L'Oreal, big beauty company in L'Oreal, to being able to be in a more, call it, nimble kind of environment, but also the growth that you've led over the past six years. I personally got introduced to Laneige um, during COVID. Somebody had given me a stocking stuffer of the lip balm and oh my gosh, it was grapefruit. I ordered like a box of them because it was like, they might change the flavor. They might change something. That lip mask, oh my gosh, it is so freaking good. Yeah, it's very addictive for sure. 
this is really what I love about Amore Pacific Group. It's like, it is a big group, you know, it's the number 12 or 13 beauty group according to the WWD ranking. It's a giant in Asia specifically. They've been the incontestable leader in the domestic market in Korea. They were, they have been very strong in China over the last 10 years. And I love this in the US, like we're kind of this hybrid model where we're not a startup, you know, we have structure, we have process, uh, we have a HR team, but we're not as big as a corporation uh, as a L'Oreal or Estee Lauder. And for me right now, where I am in my career, I think that's been a very interesting way to have this agility of bringing some of the best, the best practices of, you know, DTC and working with Sephora, working very quickly, but also having the, the resources of a big group, the number one being the labs and the, the research and development, because like a L'Oreal uh, or Unilever, typically like uh, Amore Pacific has the best formulas and it's an 80 year old group and uh, the investment in research and patent uh, for me is the big difference. And when you look at beauty specifically, you can always do a great packaging. You can always have a great influencer. You can have a great campaign, but the repurchase, like if you're going to go back a second time to the same formula and are you going to really see over time uh, the consumer coming back? That's R&D and it's not like uh, you cannot come tomorrow and disrupt everything either. Oh, it is legit strong product and being able to, like you said, invest as much in, in the R&D and the criticality to drive the repurchase as it is in all of the things that go along with marketing, beauty, fashion, or anything like that. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. So a slight pivot on the question, which would be, what are the building blocks that absolutely must be true that you thought about when you came here, especially given your role in the U.S.? Because you guys are, like you said, you're you're huge globally in the U.S., very different from the, the penetration that, like, let's say you have in China. How did you think about the building blocks of what needed to be true for you to get that kind of distribution, to get that kind of equity? What were your building blocks there? Sure. I think the priority, again, the formulas are amazing and the products were the foundation. Like we have amazing products and that's coming from Korea. I think where we really, where the success came from, but like to have the agility and the open-mindedness of our HQ team in Korea to let us adapt and define what are those Korean brands for the Western consumers. And typically like the marketing assets at the time when I started seven years ago that were coming from Korea were 
not adapted to the US market. There was no diversity. It was, you know, beautiful porcelain Asian skin, but you didn't, you didn't really show the, the diversity of, of the US population. It was a bit too clinical or too reserved. And, and, you know, Sephora being our number one distribution channel at the time, still a priority partner for us today. Like we needed to adapt our marketing and our positioning and our storytelling to the US consumer. And what happened is with the US trial and errors, if you will, we progressively defined the brands for the Western consumer. And what I really love doing is that after winning a few cycles and putting a few product product on the map, we became in the US the Western hub of content development, meaning we're shooting in the US and we then dispatching our assets for Canada, Mexico, Europe, Australia. And we really have a great partnership. And that has been this, this agility to adapt regionally, if you will, that I think has been a, a, a great reason of our success. What is interesting, you know, you were mentioning the Lip Sleeping Mask of Laneige, which is the absolute bestseller. It's a complete iconic product in the US. This is not a bestseller in Asia, for instance. So initially, there were even talks of discontinuing this product or just keeping one out of <laughs> and, and no longer have the flavor. So you can imagine that uh, really like having this ability to really adjust the strategy to a regional level has been critical in our success. Critical. And, you know, we've seen this with a number of our prior guests that have talked about kind of the trends in, in each and obviously skin complexion, weather, and so many other things do come into play. But as somebody who has to, who is clearly in, we're looking at each other on video, but this is only coming out in audio, but I have the fairest complexion and the curliest hair. And so the the idea of, of being mindful of like how my, my skin needs are going to be different for people in different regions is something that is a natural thing to consider. And yet people don't understand the complexity that needs to go into being so much more hyper uh, sensitive to those needs and more hyper targeted. Sarah, you do have great skin. Julian, one of the things that I find fascinating looking at your growth in the US market is that you were very deliberate with the channel strategy. And in many ways, it kind of went against the grain. Would love for you to speak to that. Yeah, absolutely. I think we believe, you know, that being successful at DTC is much harder today than it was a few years ago with all the different change in technology and privacy policies. And our strong belief today for at least the type of brand we're running is that you, you must have a strong retail partner and you cannot really do it on your own. So typically the, the first brand that I was in charge of during Amor Pacific was Innisfree. And Innisfree was supposed to be the brand that's going to be Direct to consumers, I was told in my interview, you will not go to Sephora, you will not go to Ulta, you will not, you will not go to Amazon. We're going to do freestanding stores and a beautiful website. And at the time, Laneige was supposed to be the engine for Sephora and industry would not go to Sephora. So we had like a diversity of brand portfolio. And the reality is that the US is such a big market that you must have a partner and Sephora is such a great machine to, for brand building and customer acquisition that it is worth, you know, uh, sharing the margin and partnering with, with, with a retailer like Sephora to build a brand and, and gain access to those uh, beauty expert consumers that are spending, you know, a lot on getting their VIP points. The pandemic is really where we adjusted, uh, realizing that freestanding stores was not going to make it from our PNL and we had to pivot. Thankfully, we had launched the brand in its free a, a year at Sephora before the pandemic. So we were able to pivot faster and we doubled on since then in the pandemic. So with the pandemic, we adjusted the portfolio of Amory Pacific Group in the US to do fewer, bigger, better behind really like strong brands and strong partnership with Sephora, Amazon and still our DTC website, where we shut down our freestanding stores. 
or other counters in uh, department stores for our luxury brands at the time. Do you believe in the U.S. market that brands can be purely D2C or do you think that those dynamics have gone away? The reality is it's changing all the time. So we're going to know what's going to be in 2024 and beyond. It was easier a few years ago. We really see that the landscape is changing with retailers being a strong partner. And we'll also see like retail media network becoming a bigger part of our marketing spend versus our paid social, for instance. After that, you know, I'm still very interested to see how TikTok shop is going to behave in the US. Are we finally going to crack the online shopping that, you know, is huge in China and in Korea, all over in Asia with uh, influencers and directly uh, converting? We know that has been uh, a slow adoption in the US. Instagram tried and kind of failed, but we feel like, like there's something that with TikTok right now in TikTok shop that maybe is going to be the next spark of going back to a DTC business. I still very much believe in influencers. Of course, paid influencers at this point of time, it's a pay for play model. But as I, we still see that influencers are reaching a number of people that we cannot just with our, just in paid, I would say. But at the same time, I really believe in organic content from the brand. La Neige has been the best in class on TikTok, on Instagram uh, Reels. And recently we cracked YouTube shop. For the longest time, we had 7,000 followers on YouTube shop. And for the last three weeks, we went completely viral and we have a hundred thousand followers on YouTube shop. So my uh, big shout out to the social media team. Uh, we've done amazing there. The brand is interesting. It's sexy. It's fun. We're really engaging with our consumers. I still believe there's a, there's a, a path to DTC, but it's not as obvious as it might have been a few years ago. Are your brands on TikTok shop, like using that as a fulfillment? We're working towards a, a launch and we will be live in the first quarter. Okay. So we'll have to follow up with you to see how it went. Exactly. It seems like with all these changes, a big part of it is the team that you're working with and leading. When it came to, you know, taking over the U.S. market, how did you approach talent, like recruitment, development to, to pull this whole strategy off? Sure. I think, you know, this is one of the things I'm the most passionate about in the journey of uh, Amore Pacific U.S. There's really a before and after the pandemic in this case, where we fundamentally changed the cultures and the way of working for the better. I think the pandemic forced us to, you know, do an exercise of really the prioritization and making sure that we were super sharp on our strategy. So the first thing we do is really uh, make sure that everyone in the organization, whatever is their level, is super clear on our strategic priorities. Virtual town hall that then became physical town hall is a big thing. Really being uh, laser sharp on our strategic priorities and our star products. We're really believing in our engine products and putting all the effort behind those engine products to really get the scale we need. And uh, with that, we also really talked about full funnel and really becoming brand builders and brand storytellers versus just trade marketers. It's not just about a promotion or a GWP. It's really about telling the brand story and elevating the content and the way of communicating that brand story to the consumer. And with that, uh, we really looked at optimizing the talent that we had. We worked closely with HR on adjusting compensation, benefits, title, perks, and really started to see with going back to a positive business, also changing the culture, going to a positive culture where people are really motivated to work together because we were winning together and we're very clear, clear on our strategies. And with that, our um, turnover rate has significantly decreased over the last two years. 
Some people that had left are coming back. Others uh, are sticking with us. And we're able now to really build a great culture of internal mobility, having multiple brands, uh, but somewhat of a small structure give us the ability to move people from one brand or from one function to another. And so we are able to, again, you know, we're, we're not a startup and we're not a big, a big corporation like L'Oreal, but we still have the flexibility to move people around uh, because we have multiple functions and multiple brands. Permeability is so important. As you're thinking through almost like a couple of the last questions that you would answer, there was a few things that kind of came out. The importance of figuring out how we find people where they shop, the importance of influence, diversifying your retailers and your distribution. With all of that in mind, where do you see the role of ratings and reviews in influencing purchase decisions as you start thinking through other mechanisms to drive reputation as well as which products are right for which types of people? I believe uh, ratings and review are super critical because everybody knows that influencers are sometimes paid, <laughs> most of the time paid. Do they truly believe in the product or not? So I think ultimately uh, the granularity of, of uh, looking at uh, ratings and review is super important for the project to really convince the final conversion. For me, there's a few points here. We know people want to really pay attention where they spend their money ultimately. Time and time again, we know beauty in good times and bad times, beauty always thrives. However, the consumers are more discerning. They're still going to spend the money. That's the infamous lipstick effect, but they will spend the money wisely. And so they spend even more time finding the right product for them, knowing that the competition has quadrupled uh, over the last couple of years. So there's uh, non-stop new products, new brands coming, and uh, the quality is really all over the place. Finding the right product for you, finding people that are reviewers that have the right, the same skin type or the same, same hair type as you or the same concerns. So it's not just a, a generic review, it's how personalized and customized is it to my personal needs and what I'm looking for. That is very important. What we're really seeing as well is the importance of before and afters. So we as brands are investing in before and afters, but you see, for instance, Sephora, on their reviews, you have the possibility uh, to, to put pictures like, like, this is my personal before and after. Or you have the check-in to say, like, this is an official purchaser. It's not, a, or you have to disclose that you were compensated or you were given the product for free. So I believe, like, all the transparency is not going away. The desire for transparency is not going away. In that framework, uh, ratings and reviews are very important. And the last piece is, in our social listening, the volume of conversation on the brands Yes, it's on TikTok and Instagram, but actually it's on Reddit. Reddit is a huge platform where people are talking about the brand and we don't have access to it. We don't monitor it. We can just advertise on it and it's very it's a paid advertising. It's very obvious, but we cannot join the forum. We cannot join the conversation. So it's a complete free space for consumers to speak uh, their truth where the brand cannot impact. We'll have to send this episode to the chief product officer of Reddit because you just gave him some good ideas or she <laughs> or they. Julian, we have to ask you our famous last question that we could pick your brain all day, which is, what's the bravest thing you've ever done? <laughs> so I ended up doing skydiving because it was something that I've sought for 10 years that I really wanted to do. And I was really, uh, I wanted to do it. And I did it. And at the time, I loved it. The adrenaline was kicking. I had a big smile on my face when I ended up landing. And then it was in the morning. I jumped in the morning. And then throughout the afternoon and the following days, I realized how much I hated it, how much I was scared. And I would never do it ever again. <laughs> but I did it. And I'm glad I, I ticked that box. <laughs> Where did you do it? In France, in, uh, in the west coast of France, in Brittany. 
the landscape was beautiful. I, I kept my eyes open and I got to enjoy the, the landscape. Love it. Love it. Well, Julian, thank you for letting us pick your brain. Obviously, beauty is a space we're all watching. Everything happens first there, and then we see it impact the rest of CPG. So we really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this episode and want to keep nerding out on all things beauty and skincare, there's a few episodes you should go check out. Go check out the Wella episode with their chief digital officer, Chris. Go check out the Super Goop episode with their CEO, Amanda. Go check out the Evolution of Smooth. This is an early episode of ours with their CMO, So Young. Or go check out another L'Oreal person. Julian came from L'Oreal, the GM of Urban Decay, Milena Higuera. If you're liking what you're listening to, tell a friend, write a review, give us a like. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Jackie Cooper, Global Chief Brand Officer at Edelman and the host of Touch of Truth, a new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. My dad gave me this incredibly smart piece of advice, meet everyone once. As a result, I've met some of the most fascinating and inspiring people on the planet. Now on Touch of Truth, we're coming center stage and sharing the mic to experience stories of truth, insights and visions for the future that will challenge your way of thinking. Touch of Truth is available wherever you listen to podcast. New episodes come out every Tuesday. I do hope to see you there.